0: And i Leah McDonald.
1: And you're listening to episode 122 of Cinepunks.
0: Cinepunks! <laughs> so,
1: again, we're doing a, a multi city uh, podcast event. And, um, you know, it's cool. And uh, we're, I'm still here in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix AZ, killing it in the sunshine. And, uh, just, what it, you know, what is
0: what exactly is the weather like there? Because I'm literally looking out of my window at snow right now. Oh, so, there
1: is no snow here, sir. No, it of course not. It is at least, like, 80 degrees today, and, like, it's very sunny. It's the kind of thing where, as a bald man, you don't want to go out without a hat. You know what I'm saying? Like – You know, at home, it's fine, because typically you're not going to be like there's buildings, you know, what I mean, whereas uh, it's like so the negotiations that I've been having to to wander through as I uh, have been filling out the space here in Phoenix for the time being, is that um, it's an urban sprawl instead of the urban climb that we're used to. So like our East Coast city is like, you know, there's a limited ground space. So it grew upwards phoenix is ravenous in its expansion outwards and not upwards and uh yeah there's like downtown with buildings and all that stuff but for the most part by and large it's all just like these weird like not tall buildings so there's all this sky well, and sun and
0: shopping center after shopping center that i have trouble distinguishing the differences between you know like i, yeah. I when i was there it was like we went to in and out and then we went to del taco and i could have sworn they were at the same outdoor mall but they weren't they were <laughs> miles apart and i could not tell in any way shape or form
1: That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's funny too. Like, we, uh, I just spent the weekend in Palm Springs with Melani. We visited friend of the show, Edward Walker, Professor Edward Walker of UCLA. And, um, you know, we, we hung out in Palm Springs just because we were having like internet connectivity issues here and they had to upgrade a whole bunch of stuff. And so we were just out of town for like the weekend and, uh, i don't know if you know man like everything in palm springs looks like a scene from once upon a time in hollywood oh
0: really yeah 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 yeah.
1: it's a wild time like all of like the hotels and stuff are like they look like they're sealed in amber and haven't aged since the 70s
0: wow
1: yeah 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 it's really it's really bizarre out there and uh much like the movie uh with um what's his name uh andy um that that fucking Palm Springs movie. What was that movie? Andy Samberg. Movie. Oh yeah, that. It's yeah.
0: called Palm Springs. I haven't watched yeah, it Yeah yeah
1: yeah. Fact of the matter is, people do live that life, man. They they hang out by a pool in this like blazing hot sun. It was like ninety degrees when we were out there. It's pretty crazy. And like Ed Ed and uh, yeah yeah he he got a uh, he got an Airbnb that had a pool and a hot tub, and we hung out by that thing and um yeah it was it was an experience we also went through joshua tree national park which is pretty cool i'd never been there before i'd never actually seen a joshua tree although in my formative years when i fancied myself somewhat of a basketball player a baller if you will uh, i was hoping to adopt the nickname joshua tree but that did not stick because i'm not very tall you know, uh, <laughs> in relation to other people, and further, I'm also a poor basketball player. So actually, it might have been appropriate given that I'm really good at just standing there. So sure, um, yeah, you know, did yeah did not do any good blocks or score any big buckets. But uh, uh, yeah, consequently, did not have a good namesake. But that said, went through Yo, the park
0: sitting by a pool in 90 degree weather sounds like fucking heaven right now. Like I would Yo, man. murder someone to do that
1: i'm not gonna lie to you it was my best life it was yeah, pretty sure. good yeah. yeah 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 and it was fun because it's like me and Melani, you know and like it was just we're in california and some wild sunny times knowing it was like what like 50 degrees at home and stuff like that shit is crazy man but you know it's a pretty good argument for out west i gotta say not that i'm making any of those decisions just yet but i'm just
0: saying you know it's nice out here. I definitely see you as someone who, despite your affinity for the, um, let's call it grit of Philadelphia, uh, that would very much enjoy a tropical climb or oh, a yeah. desert environment as a place to be. I mean, I think when it comes to like, ha- like our vibe, we should probably both be living in california I, I just think that la sounds so lame though you know what i mean yeah, like yeah like it just you know, sounds it's... like a lame place to be but weather wise we're sh- we're shorts boys we are we yeah, are 100%. we are shorts yeah. boys who want to be in a pool somewhere this is definitely the reality
1: of who we are and i mean like i don't know my one friend who lives in uh san francisco he lives in oakland and he was telling me how right, like you right. know again 90 degree days in the middle of january and that's his jam so you know i get it man i get it
0: i mean i loved san francisco when i was out there i i didn't get to go to oakland the the one day we were gonna go we ended up um not going and i was kind of sad about it because i wanted to see more of the area but Mm. if san francisco wasn't like the dumbest most expensive place to live ever it would be one of my favorite places in the world like just (laughs) just walking around you're like oh this is cool there's good food everywhere the weather's amazing i like the vibe but then like you actually look at the cost of living and you're like what human every I, i mean literally even the like hole in the wall taco places are oftentimes like that's a facade. Like, it's actually owned behind the scenes by some, like, millionaire, but they just keep it looking, you know, janky because they know that's the appeal, you know? Wow. So you, you go in, and it's... I wouldn't say all of them, but there's a few of these places where some rich investor came in bought the whole jam and then just left it the way it was so they're making the money behind the scenes but Uh they kept it like all the staff the owner's still on staff but as a manager you know what i mean like everything is the way it was before they stepped in but a lot of times they had to do that shit because the rent is so high in a lot of these neighborhoods you couldn't have a local tacos it's just not possible you know what i'm saying yeah 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 no my one friend
1: he moved out there he worked for google And he was telling me, he was like, yo, dude, like making 80 grand a year in San Francisco is like making 30 grand a year in Philadelphia. And he was just like, none of us even live, like he works in tech. So he was telling me like, yeah, none of us even live in SF proper. We have to like be on the outskirts, but I mean, I have a
0: friend, I had a friend, well, friend of the show, uh, Rhea and Joel, uh, I don't even know if they've listened to a lot, but they've listened to some. Um, They're like friends of mine from college. They're in a rent controlled building. That's like a co-op. You know? So it's like everyone in the building basically pays into a co-op to pay for the mortgage. Uh, There's not even like a landlord. You know what I mean? But Mm. uh, uh, other friend of the show, Joel Tarman, he lives in a rent controlled apartment and his rent controlled apartment, which is one bedroom that he shares with his wife and his uh i think at this year year old uh son is uh 1800 that's the rent controlled one like literally dude like picture an apartment the size of your living room and dining room area not even your kitchen and that's you know about a, a little under two grand and he was like so blessed to have found this unbelievably cheap apartment and i was like really and he's like yeah the full price on an apartment like this is closer to three grand and i was like bro it's barely a room you live in now don't be wrong he's amazing and he's found all these space saving things and whatever Uh but i'm like could you imagine dropping almost three grand on a room a month yeah bro it's crazy yeah
1: no just to rent out there is three times my mortgage that shit is insane (laughs) yeah that's wild dude but here's the thing man and this is the reality if I'm moving west sure which is not outside the realm of reason right if we decide to pack up our bags in Philadelphia and move out west I'm not stopping at no goddamn California I'm making it all the way to my islands baby I'm making it all the way to Hawaii cause let me tell you something There are two places on this earth wherein I feel at home. One, the tri-state area. I'll give it that. I'll give you New Jersey and Philadelphia. You know, I'm into it. I love it. But the other place, Hawaii, baby. Molokai. Nobody there. Just turn your back on the world and live. Shit is dope. That's it
0: see this is my issue on a romantic level I hear what you're saying and I want to vibe with it but actually no I hate it and uh, this is why people who move to the woods people who move to uh, all kinds of like remote places whatever it is I don't understand what the fuck you're talking about I've been to Hawaii I loved Hawaii when I was there but my immediate thought when I was in Hawaii was like there's not enough shit here like if I was a rich person I would definitely go to Hawaii on a regular basis. I'd love to go to Hawaii once a year for about five <laughs> days. And then I would like to come back to a place with peoples and things. Because it turns out I love peoples and things. And I think this is actually rare. Like not – not. Um, just among our friends or people who know us Who like have moved to more remote areas But I think even people we know Who live in the dead heart of cities Secretly are like this sucks I want to go someplace abandoned Because they don't like people But mm. you know man If I'm away from people for too long I get a little Yeah you get weird Yeah, I for don't, sure. Oh, Even now like I'm home with my fam We're doing the quarantine thing We got we to because the numbers in Chicago Are not great They're mm. not any better in the suburbs so I'm trying to stay away from these diseased ass motherfuckers and stay at <laughs> home. And oh boy. You know, I've got you know, I, I've got my wife to talk to, I've got my kid to play with, I've got lots of friends on the fucking internet I could interact with, and yet I'm still like well, I, I, I basically live in the bottom of the Grand fucking canyon you know what I mean like <laughs> I, I, Without Access to groups of people My brain just kind of gets Weird and it's not all bad like There's some good things from it you know um, uh-huh. and, and I think it's helpful for me When it comes to like reading and stuff Like I remember living in the city And having trouble writing because I just wanted to go talk to people at the coffee shop so like Being forced into that a Situation where that's harder to do is helpful In some ways but mm-hmm. eventually I burn out on being alone I just I just can't and I have to interact or if I don't I'm gonna start being strange and you know <laughs> that it, it's true It just and it happens in a few different ways but so for me like being out in Hawaii like I, I actually you know I've never been uh, I've only been to the big island but uh-huh. uh but I love never it. been
1: to Oahu you never did like nope.
0: nah, dog. Oh, my big God. island huh. only that's all I've done
1: that is some shit dude yeah you're there's there's a lot there there's a lot there for sure
0: i I hear you i hear you but i just uh uh even now knowing that like with the conditions we're in i can't just get in my car and drive somewhere interesting not here you know what i mean Uh yeah it drives me crazy so thinking about being on the island and being like well i gotta book a flight if i want to leave hawaii that would drive me nuts bro i don't think i could do it Mm.
1: Yeah, no, I could definitely do it. I wouldn't even book that flight. I'd just be like, well, look, we got these coconuts. I got my wife. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd be all right. 100%. Well,
0: well, when you end up on Karate Zombie Island or whatever the fuck, you know. don't don't call your boy. Don't call your boy for help.
1: I would need a dragon sound to help me out, but, you know, I'm saying (laughs) dragon
0: sound. I'm
1: sure I could cultivate a band out there. It wouldn't be the worst thing I like
0: conflating all these movies together. Okay. Hey, we should start this episode, huh? I probably
1: should We We did, did. but we didn't. We haven't. We haven't a a thing. We got to do. We
0: haven't a talked about what the show. What What are we talking about in this episode, Josh?
1: We're talking about two movies. First, Cal and The Assistant, both directed by female directors.
0: Yeah, we wanted to do two new movies, uh, and we wanted to do something the um, Gotham Awards were just announced. We thought, oh, that's a good place to start. Like, what are they? And we realized that they had focused uh, very strongly on female directors, I think exclusively, actually, on female directors. And we thought, what a great opportunity for us to um, talk about new movies which we don't do enough, I don't think, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but also focus on female directors who hopefully are starting to get at least a small Portion of the attention they deserve. So, uh, I thought it w- we both thought it was a great opportunity. Uh, so, we're going to get into that in a sec. Before that, we want to say uh, this episode is brought to you, as always, by our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. Um, we, we're we doing pretty good over there at Patreon. If you are a Patreon supporter and you are waiting for something, now is the time to ask because I want to get it done over this holiday weekend slash before Christmas. So, uh, you need a shirt, you need something else, hook us up. Let us know. We're going to get to you. Uh, And then we're hopefully going to be recording some content. Like we said, Josh is in Arizona. But now that his internet works, we're hoping to do a little bit of recording for you all, get you all some of that content you're itching for.
1: (laughs) Yeah, boy. (laughs) We also want to thank our sponsors at Essex Coffee Roasters, um, our friend Aaron of uh, Bain fame and converge and be well. Uh, he uh, he likes us and thinks we're cool enough to uh, give people who purchase coffee from Essex Coffee Roasters a little discount if you put Cinepunks in at checkout. Get 10% discount on your order. So what, what I, would you like I, to say about Essex Coffee Roasters,
0: Liam? Yeah, because I, I was about to say, yo, know, I wrote all this stupid copy. I might as well yeah, use Yeah, I want right? to hear the
1: copy. Yeah, let's hear
0: it. Essex Coffee Roasters offer specialty grade coffee roasted to order for the most fresh and delicious home brewing experience. Essex is committed to accessible quality coffees, offering education on coffee and brewing to all of their customers. That's pretty good, right? That sounds profesh, dude. Essex Coffee Roasters believes you don't have to be a coffee expert to enjoy a great cup of coffee. I feel good about that. I think I did an okay job with that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. He's like,
1: dude, my arguments for what coffee I drink is way worse than that. Oh,
0: I've been to your house. You drink whatever swill is available. You don't Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because
1: I I, I listen to Andrew Welbrock who says – if you enjoy bad beer or bad coffee, you'll never have a bad cup of beer or a bad cup
0: of coffee. And guess what? That, but that's Much how like the he, rest of life. That's, that's how he correct. feels about everything, though. That's why he enjoys bad movies and bad food. He just likes bad things. Uh, yeah, you heard me, Andrew. I dissed your taste. Uh, no, here's here's the thing about our man Aaron. Right, as you guys know, he's been in a bunch of bands. Those bands toured, as you know, extensively. And on tour, he was always looking for uh, coffee that. He, lo- he would like, you know, like a good cup of coffee, not something amazing, but something that was worth drinking. And the reality is good coffee is hard to find. It's often associated with like elitist artsy neighborhoods in big cities. And the reality <laughs> is that doesn't make sense. Why should everyday folks just be drinking Folgers, right? They should have access to quality coffee at an affordable price from a company willing to explain to you why why does the coffee cost this much why is the coffee what makes this coffee different even being willing to roast to order so that the coffee isn't sitting around the coffee you get by the time you get uh, let's even say Starbucks that coffee is oftentimes uh, you know almost a year old he, my man is not roasting your beans until you have ordered your coffee and so you are getting the freshest experience and he is willing to work with you to help you know how to brew that coffee at home for the best possible result. So, you know, I, I just think they're a great company. They also offer tea. They also have sick merch and stuff. So, like, you know, head on over there. Order whatever it is you need. M- m- not just coffee. Get get yourself some loose leaf tea. Get yourself a sick hoodie. Go ahead and put in that promo code CINEPUNKS, C-I-N-E P U N X and get that 10% off, man.
1: Yeah, get to, get that love, dog. Get that love. Speaking of love, what screen printers do we love, Liam? Lehigh, Valley,
0: Apparel, Creations. <laughs> Look, I'm not gonna get into all the stuff where we make fun of Chris. I'm just gonna say the basic fact of the matter. If you want a professional quality screen printing experience from people who are actually pleasant to work with who like have been to a punk show or two you need to go to lehigh valley they are the only screen printer i know of that perfectly combines the relatability of your friend's business with actual quality production you know that they are reliable they are professional uh and they're goofy you're going to go in and in between screen printing jobs the dudes are going to be doing ollies in the shop and there's going to be an (laughs) ugly hairless chihuahua walking around and there's going to be a video game system and chris will talk to you about wrestling if you want to talk about wrestling like it's a fun place but it's a fun place that chris is committed to giving you good screen printing at a let's say offensively low price (laughs) offensively low it's it's (laughs) ridiculous my man needs to charge more money (laughs)
1: but we love chris and we love lvac so hit them up on xlvacx.com and uh, get your screen printing needs met by our man's chris
0: yes sir all right it's time for our thing josh it's time it's time for what liam what's our thing it's a little segment that Uh we do every episode Every single, 122 times thus far. Yep. And it's called. <sighs> Whack on track. <laughs> that felt good. That I feel was like good. That's good. Again, I thought that was close. Yeah. Again, Jacob, just line them up, man. Make us sound yeah. good. I don't give a fuck.
1: There's delays. There's delays, people. You understand. Yeah. You understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, Liam, what have you done lately <laughs> that is whack? And what have you done lately that is on track?
0: Uh, I'm just going to go to on track. I, I, you know, we've covered whack. Hopefully, the whack situation is going to improve. We're all out here broke as shit. We're all out here <laughs> hoping we don't get COVID. As I've already covered on this very episode, I'm isolated and it's not fun for me because. I uh my extroversion is like a a weird disease so um there's all kinds of whack out there but on track me and my wife you know I, I kind of forced Susan to watch things with me and she doesn't always want to but I just I I need to get my movies in and I finally we finally got time to watch a little movie called the 40 year old version Have you seen this? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I have not. It's uh, it's about an MC, right? Like, it's about a rapper.
0: Well, okay. So it it is and it isn't, right? It is about a 40-year-old artist who is a playwright who won the 30 under 30 some, you know, 10 years ago and hasn't really been able to break through since then. And she's working as a teacher and she's struggling to get her... Productions off the ground and she's just feeling very frustrated. And in her frustration, she returns to something she used to do in high school that would help her, you know, sort of artistically explore, and that's write rhymes. Uh, but you know, who breaks into hip hop at forty, let alone as a woman? No one. No one does that. But she just, you know, she's so frustrated with her main career as a playwright that she goes to do music you know and she finds a a dj and uh or i guess more of a producer but uh he he makes a beat for her and she records one song and it goes so well that she's like this is what i'm gonna do um and it goes from there i'll say the the problem that a movie like this would have is if suddenly this random 40 year old lady is like the master rapper and that isn't what happens uh it would also stink if um you know she ignored her life as a playwright because she had already done some good things in that world that's not what happens either it's it's very much about i think um the ways that often we have to compromise and we might Mm -hmm. even risk kind of like selling out a little bit just to to feel like we can survive and that's where she's at you know there's this real feeling in the movie that uh black artists are often encouraged to do what amounts to poverty porn you know and so Mm. the question is is she going to do that to survive you know but also there's a feeling of like uh, as much as she found that she's you know not bad as an MC, she's not like a she's not secretly MF Doom or something but she's not Mm. bad as an MC. that doesn't mean like she's ready to like become a famous rapper either it's like this thing is very cool and it's maybe a good way for her to express herself but the movie doesn't have any illusions that like and then she became Jay-Z like that's not what it's about at all Um, Mm. and I like that I like that it's much more about the experience of being an older uh, creative person who hasn't made it yet. And what does that mean? Is that okay? Is it okay that like art is part of your life, but you're not famous? You know? Um, There's a moment where she is... uh, talking you know part of the setup of the movie so this isn't a spoiler is that the movie starts after her mom has passed away and it's pretty clear it was only a year ago and so she's still dealing also with the depression of that and she hasn't really like mourned her mother yet and that's Mm. also part of what the movie's about uh and her mom was an artist and when she's discussing her mom's career it was emotional it was emotional for me and the whole movie i think is Uh, first of all supremely funny you know she one of the fake songs she writes for the movie is about uh, white men with black women asses and it's so good it's so good Um, uh, so there is this level of humor but I I think it it manages to be a movie that has messages in it that is also self aware enough to not be a quote unquote message movie does that make sense Mm. yeah 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 message
1: movies can be like really tiresome after a
0: minute they they can be I mean I think some topics are tough enough that it's fine to be Mm, yeah a a message movie often has no humor in it you know it's it's (laughs) too self-serious well there are things about which one should be self-serious so i don't want to say that's a bad thing all the time but this movie is very much covering something with more nuance in which she needs to be funny about it and needs to be Mm. self-critical about it and it works I, I think it's brilliant. I, I think one of the criticisms of the movie is that it's maybe a little overlong. It's a first time feature and it's about two and a half hours. So wow. I think a, I think a lot of people are like, Whoa, it's so long. I don't give a fuck, man. I was in from point A to point B, like the whole thing worked for me um i was never You like bored. long
1: movies though you like long form movies no it,
0: de- it depends on what it is uh i don't like long for example action movies starring the rock i wish those <laughs> movies were shorter but uh <laughs> but yeah i mean uh, uh, the parts of it that maybe could have been cut are all atmospheric new york city shit well mm-hmm. sitting in the chicago suburbs not able to go to a city right now because of covid i loved all those fucking things man give me more flavor give me more new york city yeah. shit none of that bummed me out uh i think She's charming and funny. The movie is hilarious, but not in like a fall over... You know, clutching your gut kind of way, more like uh, I was giggling through the whole thing. And it's, yeah, and it's smart and insightful and touching. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. And especially for people who do care about hip hop, who maybe feel that part of the narrative of it is like maybe hip hop has left her behind because she's old, you know, like, and, yeah. you know, I kind of vibe with that, not just with hip hop, but with like everything that I like, you know. So, uh, anyways, I, I really liked it. Um, what else is on track? Oh, so uh, I know not everyone who listens to this show necessarily listens to my show with Doug Tilly and Board, but for the first time in a while, we got to watch two movies uh, that we're going to be covering. Those episodes haven't come out yet, but we're going to be covering that are actually really good. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked. Well, I hadn't seen it in a long time, but we watched After Hours. Have you ever seen After Hours?
1: I have not seen that.
0: I've seen it up
1: on on Bro. the thing. Yeah, and is it, it? it looks like one of those like. Just one of those movies that I just I mean and I enjoy those movies for sure, but what I do definitely you mean those
0: I don't know what you mean those movies. Like those
1: eighties teen movies. Bro,
0: this is a Martin Scorsese film. Oh no shit. Bro, this well, is a Martin Scorsese that... yeah, film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I get
1: that. Okay. I mean here's the deal. At I between heard about... I Basically heard
0: about... basically between Raging Bull, right, uh-huh. and Goodfellas scorsese did a bunch of movies in the 80s that people don't talk about as much because they're not i don't know italian stereotype films and so <laughs> after hours is one of those movies like if if it, listener if you have not sat down and watched the king of comedy after hours fucking well I, i'm sure a lot of you watch last temptation of christ but you know a bunch of his 80, 80s movies and i haven't i don't know if i've seen all of them but mm-hmm. uh after hours to me stands up to certainly any of his modern films and i think to his classics as well it's not as heavy it's a comedy it's supposed to be a comedy but it's a scorsese comedy so it's also weird and beautiful and haunting um yeah it has an amazing cast you know uh yeah uh, not just griffin dunn from american werewolf in london but uh uh catherine o'hara is in this john cheech and chong are in this john a bunch of, uh, i do love uh, king of comedy i do love that last of christ eh, i don't know but uh um, last of christ is one of my favorite scorsese films man is it
1: Oh yeah! Well, I haven't watched it in a long time, so I mean, maybe I need to see it with my new, newly minted cinema eyes. Bro, you know what I'm saying,
0: bro. My favorite part about it is his refusal to rein in Harvey Keitel. We're in fucking biblical Israel, and Harvey Keitel's out here being as New York as they come. <laughs> Jesus, what's the matter with you? You're being crazy over here. You know, it's it's so fucking good. I love it. I love. Uh, I mean, never That's not to disrespect Scorsese's. whole lineup there's only a few stinkers in the thing you know my Mm -hmm. man is great i love new scorsese i'm not one of these 70s only people yeah no, i like new scorsese uh, whatever but i do think personally goodfellas is a little overrated like people just go to goodfellas because they want from scorsese a crime movie that has gangsters in it you know what i mean Uh and that's just not realistic like he did a lot of different shit so i i am i'm not commanding you but i'm recommending you to watch after hours i think you're gonna love it i think you're gonna feel the anxiety of it if you take it not as a straight comedy which is what you're right the poster sort of suggests take it as that's the thing my
1: judgment on this is based completely on the imagery that's on the box oh no 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 no. take (laughs) it as
0: almost a comedic thriller Okay. All right. Because the movie will give you fucking anxiety. It sure, certainly will. So we covered that for our Dick Miller show because Dick Miller is in it briefly, but he's very good. <laughs> so for Praising Cain, we watched uh, Dog Day Afternoon, um, and then I also encouraged uh, – Doug and I watch it as well the documentary The Dog which is about the real life person that Dog Day Afternoon is based on Um, and I, I really love that movie as much as I now judge it because the dog shows all the things about it that like maybe aren't accurate in weird ways you know what I mean Um, Mm -hmm. It's still a great movie, and I I love the performances in it. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Carol Kane's not in it a lot. She has a very brief appearance in it, but she is good in it. So, Dog Day Afternoon. So, that was on track, getting to watch two movies I actually am stoked on. And Mm – finally uh we'll bring in what's becoming a regular feature here uh liam's cartoon section uh, <laughs> because you guys know i watch a lot of cartoons with my my little girl and we've been we just finished season two of glitch text uh and glitch text is a nickelodeon production but i don't think nickelodeon has a channel anymore or something because it's on netflix so i don't know the relationship is nickelodeon not a thing now i don't know i don't know what what is tv a thing i don't fucking know man yeah all i know is this is clearly made by nickelodeon but it's on netflix it's a netflix original production even though it's made by nickelodeon so it's weird anyways it is a show in which uh when video games glitch when this particular company's video games glitch They release uh, like 3D personifications of the glitch in the game. So like you're playing a video game and then the, the villain of the game like comes out of your system and tries to fight you. And so glitch techs are these people who work for the company who like fight the glitches, capture them, and then reset everyone's memory who's there so they don't know that this is happening, which... If that sounds menacing, yes, the overarching story <laughs> is heading towards this company's actually evil. But what I love about the show is we just finished season two. Still no follow through on the overarching story of the company being evil, which might be frustrating for other people. But for me, is great because I'm like, oh, we're really building this shit up. And the main <laughs> characters are awesome It's a... Uh, young uh, Japanese-American girl named Miko and a Hispanic, uh, Latinx and Asian uh, character named, well, I think his real name is Hector, but he goes by High Five as his gamer tag. And uh, they're like new glitch techs, so they're still learning about the world of glitch techs. And it's just fucking funny, man. It's funny it's fun and they do a lot of like weird video game stuff that i just kind of like like uh just plot lines based off of video games that you recognize you know what i mean uh and i love that it's just a lot of so you know for those of you out there who are willing to suffer through a cartoon if it's supposed to be good uh i highly recommend glitch text i think it's a lot of fun um uh and, I, I, and we finished it and I'm kind of sad because now I don't know what next actually good you know she's kind of obsessed with uh, the latest generation of Care Bears and it's like painful man it's like so bad so I, I need to find something that I'm also not going to hate that she's going to be into she's totally <laughs> checked out of Shira, so I'm not caught up on Shira, Whoa. even though I think I thought she is great Shira. I thought she, she only liked G-Man. the first two seasons and then she didn't oh. here's the thing I think midway through season two it gets really emotionally complicated and she was having Trouble identifying with it, uh, okay. but she All she right. loved Kipo. She loves the Bears. You know what I mean. But mm. like a lot of these things, like there hasn't been new Bears for a while. Steven yeah. Universe is over. You know what I mean. So like, there's just not a like. A lot of newer stuff. And I, I know, like, shows like those, some of those shows are meant for teens, not for a fucking three year old. But uh-huh. as long as the show isn't too crazy and it doesn't have a lot of violence, I think she can connect with it. I think the shows that are like, yeah. for teenagers that are like, Whoa, like crazy, you know, uber masculine or super mm-hmm. flashy, like high paced, I think those are kind of like, she has trouble with those. She doesn't really connect with them. But, yeah.
1: well, she's um, also pretty mature for a three year old. Well, and a smart is, young lady. So, that is you know. true.
0: That is fair so anyways that's all I got Josh how about you what's whacking on track
1: uh whack is um, still you know still trying to deal with these uh life things you know what I mean which you know I'm working through getting through it but um you know other than getting hit by a car last week you know that was that was a bummer but um doing okay now my knees don't hurt so much after you know hitting the deck and um, that's good on track. Uh, I managed to watch a couple things while we've been out here just because, you know, Milani's working remote and stuff. And this weekend, like I said earlier, we were away, so I didn't really have a chance to watch too much this weekend. But um, last night when we got back to Phoenix, we watched the SpongeBob movie with Keanu Reeves in it, the, the newest one that just came out recently, I think.
0: Oh, uh, sure, 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 sure.
1: And, uh, yeah, I also saw on Twitter that re- friend of the show and former guest Rob Scavarla was talking about the movie Blood Rage. Which turns out never saw before, or if I didn't see it, I didn't quite remember it. I hate so, you so uh,
0: much. With anything you're about to say, I'm going to get so mad at you.
1: Well, we watched it last night, and I had fun.
0: Yeah. Do you watched it? Did you stream it, or did you watch a uh, uh, Blu-ray of it?
1: I streamed it via Shudder. Shut up.
0: Well, that's funny because you barred my Blu-ray of it three years ago, yeah, and you still have it. Yeah. You had it so long. Guess what I did, Josh? What'd you do, Liam? I bought another fucking Blu-ray. Ah... It's a good movie. You should watch it. It's real good. I've seen it many times. I fucking hate you. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought we might try to cover it for horror business, which we are, by the way, spoiler, going to nice. cover it for horror business, uh, though we won't get it out before Thanksgiving, but that's fine. Uh, but it's I, you a know,
1: Thanksgiving movie. Didn't know, I know that. I know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: And, and I knew that you were never going to give it back to me, so I went ahead and bought my own copy of it. But hearing that you finally watched it, but instead of watching the copy I loaned to you, uh, whatever... Th- three times 365 days ago to me now at
1: this point yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 but you didn't watch that no i didn't no
0: <sighs> now the copy on shutter i'm wondering is that the combined copy or is that w- one version of the movie
1: I don't know. I don't know the difference. Oh man!
0: So this is why you need to dig out the Blu-ray. It's not a big deal. It's not that big a difference, but there are two versions of the movie. One version is the one that is the cover, Blood Rage, but then it also was released as something like Massacre in Shadow Woods or Massacre, yeah, 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 I another name, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And so um, the movie, the two movies are different, slightly different. Um, and so if you have the Blu-ray, they have an option to watch a version of the movie that's just the two movies combined.
1: Oh wow. Because there's only no shit.
0: W- one version has a couple scenes and the other version has a couple scenes. The difference is not much. It probably adds maybe 10 minutes to the movie total. But for me, I just like the idea of like, that's right, motherfucker. I have the option to watch both versions at once. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and I think it's really just like, uh, there's a longer sequence at the drive-in at the beginning than, uh, than in the one version. And I think the other yeah. version, it has slightly more blood. Because, you know, it's a pretty weirdly gory movie. I think yeah. one of the versions has more gore in it. But nothing that like changes you're not miss if you only watched one version of the movie you didn't miss anything and the first time i saw it was actually at exhumed on film Mm. and the version Uh. the version that i saw at exhumed was only one of the versions it was still great so i don't think i don't think it was like it matters one way or the other Mm.
1: okay fair enough but that said, I enjoyed it last night. I watched it. I had a nice little uh, edible. And, uh, of it, course. it definitely made the movie a lot more interesting than had I seen it sober. And it was a good time. Really enjoyed it. Also on track, there is a record by a band from New Brunswick, New Jersey called Hat Rabbits that probably features a bunch of people on there that you like a lot. If you are at all attuned to the Hub City Hardcore of the 90s, um, starring our friend Fid of the show Fid fiddler and um also on drums is uh mikey erg of the band the ergs they just put out uh like i think it's like a double lp and it's called um cognitive dissidents by the band hat rabbits and uh it's definitely got like 30 something songs on it i think it's really really fun it's definitely for people who are fans of uh, Fid's work much like, uh, bands like the measure and like those kinds of measure essay, like those bands, you know, it's uh super fun and it's politically minded punk rock from New Brunswick, New Jersey. So if that's your vibe, check it out. And, um, you know, I really, I've been listening to that a lot on our, our little road trip. Another thing that me and Melania have been listening to and enjoying on, um, stretches of driving is a show called the bald and the beautiful. Do you know what that is?
0: Uh, Is that a show about being bald?
1: No, kind of, sort of. It's a show about being uh, Trixie Mattel and Katya, two two drag queens from um, RuPaul's Drag Race. I believe uh, they were both on season seven, and then Trixie came back for All-Stars and won that, so but uh it's great man they're they're a new show it's just the two of them talking and they have their guests on and stuff and they talk about all things drag and their lives and they're just such interesting characters i mean like if you watch uh or if you watch um they have a show about watching stuff on netflix on youtube and stuff like they're very in the public eye currently like as far as like talking heads go you know what i'm saying and Uh, It's really, really good. It's on the Worlds of Wonder app. It's, It's like just the two of them in a green screen just talking shit. It's a 15 minute show per episode. They're into like season five of that now. But since I think the beginning of October, they've started this new show that's available everywhere called The Bald and the Beautiful. And it's just the trials of being two drag queens that live in LA during pandemic. And it's really funny to listen to them. They're very entertaining people just in general, but um, just hearing all their stories and, and stuff, it's I think it's a really fun and entertaining uh, show. Each show is about an hour long and um, yeah, Liam would be happy to know I've listened to a podcast. So, so that's a new thing I'm trying to to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, A new thing that I'm trying to do, listen to podcasts. So, you know, that's one that, uh, that me and Melani both enjoy and find to be very charming and endearing. I mean, I do know you listen uh, to podcasts because
0: you listened to that, uh, very upsetting Facebook episode of, Oh yeah. You made me listen to
1: both of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those were very not fun, but also, um, very informative. And I, uh, I was like, oh, maybe there's a thing to, to do about listening to these here podcasts that Liam keeps talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll also highly recommend to people cause I, I didn't think to put it in my, uh, on track. The most recent behind the bastards is talking about a phenomena called, or maybe not the, by the time you hear this, it, not the most recent, but if you go back a little bit ago, uh, there's a behind the bastards episode talking about something called elite panic. Do you know about this, Josh?
1: No. What is that?
0: So, um, Uh, This is not going to be a surprise to people because I think it makes common sense the way we talk about it. But in most disaster planning, the general assumption – and this is probably true of like – this kind of relates to film. This is still a film topic. The Mm. general assumption of most disaster planning as well as most disaster movies is that when things go wrong, people will lose their shit and do crazy shit. Mm. And so most disaster planning is based on the idea that the first thing you need to do in a disaster of any kind is arm – Officials, so that you can crack down on the populace because as soon as there's an earthquake or a fire or a famine or whatever it is, the uh, locals will start eating each other and fucking children, right? Mm. Uh, well, it turns out that's not true, Josh. In fact, <laughs> uh, in over 75% of actually documented disasters around the world that they were able to study, some 300-some, 400-some disasters, I forget what the numbers are, uh People don't panic. The public doesn't panic. They actually just help each other. Again and again, the public is very good of taking care of itself, actually. You know who panics, Josh, in terrible situations? (laughs) Leaders, officials, (laughs) authority figures. And so the episode is about multiple times in history where something went wrong, and while people were trying to just do the humane work of helping each other, police or the army or mayors or business owners stepped in and (laughs) fucked everything up. It's called elite panic. And it happens most of the time. Whenever there's (laughs) a horrible disaster, it's the rich and powerful who lose their shit. Uh, Do they lose their shit because they're worried about their fellow man? No, they're worried about about property property loss. There's a case of a, of a giant. There's this company that owns these grocery stores. I think it was in Peru. I think it was in peru it was somewhere in south america this guy he owns this cha- oh it was paraguay he has owns this series of uh they started off as grocery stores and they slowly grow to grow to be these like malls basically giant mm. shopper centers that have all these different items but he built them all for really cheap and so one of them a fire starts and it turns into like a huge issue because all of the exhaust from all the cooking that's going on in this place because they basically have this giant food court all the exhaust Mm -hmm. doesn't leave the building it just goes to a space between the ceiling and the roof so what you have up there is a giant uh, bubble of like grease and gas and shit and so when a fire starts that fucking thing explodes and so fire starts raining down and so people immediately just try to leave right but the owner his first thought when he sees the fire is what? no one leaves without paying and so he instructs the security to bar the doors and so what you have is people inside actually trying to pay their bills while fire rains down on them and security on the outside fighting locals who are trying to save the people inside uh which you know all of which sounds horrifying sounds even more horrifying when you learn that uh when i say this is the size of a mall it's actually the size of a mall 420 people die in this fire
1: Whoa! Wow. And this
0: and this dude basically gets off because it was like, it, the 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 court decides it was a reasonable thing to do to protect his property. Huh. Never mind the fact that well, all the property's burnt now. So like, if you would just <laughs> let people leave, you'd have 400 living people and the same amount of burnt property. You fucking scumbag. So, anyways. Wow. I, again yeah. I, I don't want to hark on that too much but it just was it's one of the things where I listened to it and it made so much sense to me I like freaked out about it and I wanted to just like talk to someone about it and as you know I don't have a lot of people to talk to right now so <laughs> we're
1: talking about it now <laughs> so on track the latest episode of Behind the Bastards yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> the other, other things that I wanted to uh, lift up um, have you heard this World of Pleasure demo
0: I don't know if I have it sounds familiar so maybe you I have, have.
1: I don't know anything about it. Somebody posted about it, so I checked it out. It is on Spotify. It's three songs from a band called World of Pleasure, and they're a straight-edge vegan hardcore band. I don't know anything about them at all other than that these three songs, the six-minute demo is fucking awesome. It's heavy as shit, and I really, really do love it. So check that out. Also. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds released a recording of at the start of the pandemic, They did he did a live show at Alexandra Palace in uh, Australia, I think it is, but um, it's called Idiot Prayer. So he just released the entire show and it's like an hour and a half of um, no stories, no talking. It's just Nick Cave at a piano by himself on a soundstage playing, like, 20 songs. It's fucking amazing. It's it's one of those things where it's, like, if you're a Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds fan, you know, you love these songs. Like, these are all, like, songs that you know. But um, hearing things like uh, Higgs, Bows, and Blues or hearing things like um, The Mercy Seat, hearing them just stripped down with him and the piano um is amazing and it's what i love about this kind of like rock and roll exploration that sure. like you know it's the thing that i love about billy bragg it's the thing that i love about like just the most stripped down kind of like um endeavors and conjuring sessions you know what yeah. i mean like you get nothing but the essence and um nick cave is one of my favorite singers and one of my favorite lyricists of all time. And um, just hearing him on a piano for an hour and a half is captivating to me. And throughout the years, Milani and I have managed to see him a bunch of times. The first time I ever saw him, I don't know if you ever heard this story, was during This Is Hardcore when Converge was playing in the explosion. That one night that they, like all those Boston oh, fans were yeah, playing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dan Grose, friend of the show, Dan Grose hit me up and he was like, Hey, listen, man, I scored free tickets to see Nick Cave at the Man Music Center. And I was like, but Dan, it's, this is hardcore. He's like, yeah, you can see Nick Cave for free, or you can see a thousand bands that you've seen a hundred times already your choice. And, uh, it was solid argument that I couldn't, I had no comeback for despite really wanting to see the explosion. And, um, I ended up seeing Nick Cave that night. And it's funny because Milani, like, we both listened to Nick Cave, but we didn't really, like, get into Nick Cave like that until that night. And she was like, wait, you and Dan are going to see Nick Cave? And I was like, yeah, 100%. And she was like, let me buy a ticket. And she fucking bought a ticket, like, in the front. So there was a bit where um, during uh stagger lee where nick cave like does crowd surfing and we saw Melani like pushing nick cave's knees in the air and stuff in the front while me and dan That's were like awesome. in the way way back <laughs> we We're like holy shit and it was such a magic show that like that night i just became a fan for the rest of my life and um Truly, it's been a fandom that has been giving because not only is he like still making records and stuff, um, and there, you know, he lost a son, like he's had like a bunch of traumas in his life and all that stuff. And it all comes out in his music and in his art. So he's been doing records, but he also has been doing this thing called the red hand files. Do you know about this at all? Yeah,
0: no. Yeah. I've heard about it.
1: Oh my God. It's so cool. It's just people writing to him and he answers their emails. So he doesn't answer them all because, as you can probably imagine, he's got such a huge fan base that, like, I'm sure he gets thousands and thousands and thousands of emails every day. But, man, when he does answer them, like, there was one that just came out this morning about a dude who was talking about how um, he had lost his brother to COVID-19 recently and his wife had died earlier in the year. And he was just asking Nick Cave, like, how do you deal with loss? And it's, like, this kind of... And Nick Cave answers it earnestly and from the heart. And you could tell just with every word how he talked about, like, the loss of his son. Because his son was, like, 14 or 15 when he died, you know what I mean? And uh, he died in, like, a freak accident. Like, they were on a vacation and he fell off of a cliff or some shit like that. And kid died. And he was a twin, so he still has the twin son. The other twin is still alive and doing well. But it's, like, a huge, like, just difficult loss i can i mean i imagine the loss of a child in any capacity is fucked up so you know but having a twin son that that's still surviving i don't know what that's like you know but uh as an artist and as a person he's just so open and um it's something to aspire to as a person who does have a life in a creative world you know what i mean like and who does appreciate people like it's it's really really interesting and he's becoming one of my most favorite artists of the time Hmm. so yeah so that's the other thing that i've been really like crushing this fucking idiot prayer recording it's so good dude i love it so much it's on all streaming platforms 100 percent listen to it if, if that's your bag because you'll love it if it is so hmm. so that's what i got
0: great well let's take a quick break <laughs> and we're gonna come back and talk about first cow and the assistant so Yay. join us back here after this very brief break In his boat and through the dark, he rode, chained
1: to the oar and the night and the wind that blowed horribly round his ears.
0: Oh, under the bridge and into your dreams, he soars, while you lie alone in that idea free sleep of yours that you've been sleeping now for years. And he wh- And he wants you, and he is straight, and he.
1: And under the many stars where we will move All amongst
0: your tangled hair And deep into the sea You will wake and walk and draw the blind And feel some presence there behind And turn to see what that may be Well, babe, it's me And he wants you
1: Everything is good. We are now about to enter our discussion of uh, new <laughs> movies to us.
0: <laughs> it's like you've never done this before.
1: <laughs> I feel every single. You know, it's funny. I got to write like all of these songs for Cross keys because while I've been away, like you know, uh, all the fellas in the band, they none of them are like in the floor like clinicians or anything. Like Bo's a psychiatrist, but he like he sees people like on like. Um, on a different level. Like he writes about like their, their treatment plans and stuff. So all those guys are still kind of able to see each other to a certain degree. And they've been writing. And I having been the only person that worked on the actual floor was like the only clinician. So I didn't, like actually participate in the writing process that they've been going through. So it's kind of difficult for me, but they get, they sent me all these songs, which I now have like 16 or so songs that I got to write the vocals and lyrics for, which is what, one of the things I'm planning to do while I'm away from Philadelphia. And um, it's just a lot of writing, man.
0: It's a lot of work. I hear you.
1: I don't know why I brought that
0: up. Because you're trying to explain why you're in a mental fog, and and suddenly something you've done hundred and twenty-one times, oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, which is so, bring us that's back. The
1: thing. Like sitting down to write this stuff, I'm like, what the fuck do I write about now? Like, how do I do this shit? I don't know, and then I have to remind myself like oh wait a minute i've kind of written a thousand songs already we know how to do this but there's always that initial hump which apparently i am at right now after 122 episodes of cinepunks where i'm like wait how do i do this again and that's where i am sorry guys sorry listeners sorry longtime listeners although you don't need my apology because you know what it is man you know what it is. <laughs> So, anyway, yeah, so we're talking about two movies directed by female directors that are new to us. We're talking about First Cow, directed by Kelly Reichert, and we're talking about um, Kitty Green's movie, The Assistant, each from 2019. So, yeah, baboom. but the,
0: the reality is no one, saw, uh, very few people at least, saw these movies before 2020. So, I think that 2019 yeah. was just like festivals, um, but I think both. Both of these movies, we'll, well, we said it earlier, but, you know, we picked them because they were both nominated for Gotham Awards, which is an mm. independent film award, and um, I noticed that they had done female directors, and, uh, you know... Uh, I had, me personally, I hadn't gotten to see either one of these movies before now. Mm. And so I really was like, let's cover newer movies uh, that I really need to see. Um, and and it's just an added bonus that like, oh, also we're very much focusing on female directors. Like, that's really great. So yeah. uh, I guess we'll talk about First Cow first. I don't know about you, Josh, but I heard a lot of buzz around this movie even before most people had even gotten to see it.
1: Yeah, I managed to, this is the last movie that I saw before lockdown, before initial lockdown in March because we got the press screener for it. And I, Melania and I went to the Ritz Ritz East and it was my final theater experience before the world went crazy on me. And uh, I managed to watch this movie with friend of the show, uh, Jill Malcolm and Ryan Silverstein. So that was my last cinematic experience before shutdown. And uh, it was this movie.
0: Wow, so... Uh, let's just start with the basics here. What did you think of this film? This, this. I, I mean, I guess we should tell people, since this is a newer film, we should tell people what it's about, um, yeah. which is, it's set in the uh, Pacific Northwestern territories, and it, we have two characters. One is a cook, uh, a cookie, <laughs> mm-hmm. who has been working with uh, various prospectors, and is kind of between positions, and a uh, Chinese man who is a bit of a, I don't know how you would describe him sort of like an adventurer in a way like yeah he, he's
1: kind of he, like a grifter though right yeah like he's kind of he's, kinda he, he's like a, a schemer
0: he's got a lot of different schemes he's been working on yeah. as he travels around the world and really has uh unlike our main character who has been in maryland and is now in the pacific northwest uh uh this guy's been around the world he's really yeah. been all over the place
1: it's he's like it's man what a pairing couple you know what i mean Right, right. Dude, so wait, so you just saw it this week, right?
0: I did. I never I got a chance to see it yet.
1: And Let me hear your thoughts. I'm curious to hear what you thought.
0: Well, I'm a big Kelly Riker fan. Oh, we didn't even say what the plot was. So basically, uh, a rich rich governor brings a cow. It is the first cow in the whole territory, which is a a big deal, right? Like, there's nowhere else. And, you know, when you have a cow, that doesn't just mean you're going to have a steak. Like, when you have a cow, Mm -hmm. that means there's milk and cheese and whatever. And so these two guys have this idea that if they steal the milk from this cow at night, they can make these special. Treats, and these treats uh, will sell pretty good because no one else has you know access to milk.
1: milk. (laughs) Yeah, and they make like these biscuits that they deep fry, and they sell at these uh, with
0: honey on them. And it's basically a a, a heist film, a very low pace heist film uh, that's filmed. So good. Oh yeah, and (sighs) it's it's really pretty. And so basically, yeah, I I had not gotten a chance to see it. I know Kelly Riker. I know her style. I'm particularly a fan of Certain Women, Meek's Cutoff, and Night Moves. Night Moves, for whatever reason, did not get a lot of attention the way some of her other movies did. But I really like it. Um, Yeah, so I I already was excited to see it because of who she is. And then I started seeing reviews. And I think for some people, there's a bit of a feeling of like, what's the big deal? Because it is a very languidly paced movie. This is not Mm -hmm. an exciting film. But I don't care about that I found it very interesting very engaging I found the characters to be relatable in a way that like I cared about them even though they're kind of jerks and stuff like what they're doing but what they're doing is not to me necessarily that immoral you know like Mm. why should this rich jerk off who's just using the milk for some tea like literally in the movie like that's they say that as a (laughs) joke and then it becomes really clear like he has no better ideas for this fucking milk than to put it in his tea and when that became when that joke about him became true I was like man I fucking do not like this guy (laughs) Um, you know you really start to feel that It's almost a crime against these people that this man just has this cow and fuck everyone else. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) they can't even buy some milk? Like, fuck you. So, uh, you know, there's a sense in which these two guys are at least on the outskirts of society. But I didn't find them any less charming for that. I found them more charming for that. And, you know, we're kind of in a place where it's on the edge of, of any society. People are just fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. There's threats and it's of like murder newly, constantly. It's,
1: it's a newly inhabited North Pacific Northwest territory, so right. there's, like, not that many people around there. Right. And uh, it's very rudimentary in terms of their day-to-day But man, what a compelling story out of those bones. You know what I mean? Like, I really, really loved this movie. I thought that,
0: like, good. I don't want to ruin it for anyone. Like, we won't get into the ending at all. But I will say that, like, starting the movie with a modern person finding two skeletons is also a very haunting way to place any narrative. Because it really, yeah. it to me, I don't know what the, uh, you know, I don't know. I haven't heard Kelly Riker talk about it. But for what it did for me as a viewer is to remind me of, like, whatever it is they're doing, it feels in that moment probably very important. You know, that, that yeah. they're going to go out there, they're going to get this milk, they're going to, you know, they, they basically revolutionize this little camp, right? By offering yeah. this, these little biscuits or whatever. And in the long run of the world, it doesn't matter, right? Like, they're just two <laughs> dead dudes in a field, you know, or whoever yeah, is yeah, two yeah, dead yeah, dudes yeah. in a field. So, like, starting any narrative off with a reminder that, like, we don't remember these people. You know, and and you could do that for any period piece, uh, unless it's specifically about a fucking king or a scientist or an explorer or something. Every period piece is a story in which uh, it might be true, it might not be true. It doesn't matter because it doesn't affect you almost. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, because of its like displacement from your temporal uh, right uh, experience, right? Like yeah. but also that like that it starts in such a way that kind of predicts like a dour circumstance you know what right, i mean like right. it's such a masterful way to tell this narrative and um i yeah even that intro is so awesome it's just so good yeah and it is put the, yeah no go ahead, like, go ahead. yeah it's one of those movies wherein the characterization of the people in the movie seems very effortless that uh it's not so much on the nose but it's definitely up the sleeve if that makes any sense to, to you and not going to lie, yeah. I seeing an Asian man in there. I was like, all right, dog, go ahead, bro. I feel you.
0: Well, and what I like about that very much is that it's not just – though I'm, I, I am all for diversity casting. Like if you watch a period piece and you're bummed out that there are people of color in it and not just white people, fuck you. Like that's straight <laughs> up I don't want to know you. But let's even go past that. This isn't just diversity casting. The West had – Asian people. That's just the fucking truth. And not (laughs) just Chinese people, by the way. When you read things and white people talk about all the Chinese people, let's be really clear. They just called all Asian people Chinese people. You know what I mean? So, like, the history of the West is a variety of cultures from Asia coming over. It was certainly easier for them to get to the West than it was to get to New York, you know? So a lot of Mm -hmm. people made that trip. And that's part of that history. So it's not like just diversity casting per se, I think it's very accurate to the history of that area and, and very much so that the other people in the movie, that this all feels... You know, I'm not a historical expert, so I don't know how accurate, but it doesn't feel outlandish. Either the setting, Mm -hmm. the circumstances, uh, the feeling of the time, the danger of it, the fact that they're like Mm -hmm. not even in a civilized world yet. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That trappers, like roving bands of trappers, are basically the lifeblood of the area. Yeah,
0: Yeah, but also the promise of it that like if they made enough money, they could go open a hotel in San Francisco and make money and like live yeah. you know what I mean like yeah yeah yeah. That, yeah. that's you know
1: the possibility I, of it all
0: yeah you know I you know there was a uh, I was listening to um, again behind the bastards they were talking about in San Francisco Uh, You know, not too far off from the time that this movie is set, you know, uh, there was a guy who just went to an island and took a bunch of eggs from these, like, uh, uh, ocean birds and brought them to San Francisco and sold eggs, right? And he made $3,000 selling eggs. Um $3,000 $3,000 in that time's money. The dude was basically a millionaire from one day's yeah. – now, granted, getting these eggs was actually really dangerous because they're on this screw. But, the you know, food was so rare. Like, that's the thing about this movie. Like, the idea that in this part of the world at this time, introducing a cow was <laughs> fucking unbelievable like, that there's yeah, now a cow. science fiction here.
1: of the time. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. Crazies. Oh, yeah. I mean the most expensive during during the gold boom, the most expensive thing in San Francisco was food. You know, like just finding bread was insanely expensive and would cost you unbelievable amounts of gold. So like the idea that like in this camp, the fact that this, you know, let's say ridiculous general has insisted on bringing his fucking nice cow and didn't couldn't even manage to bring a living male so he could have future cows. He just has a cow cow. you know Uh, yeah it's it's like you know it's a reminder of how precarious life was honestly not that fucking long ago in the grand scheme of things and so Mm. I I don't know I find all of the meta aspects of the story are very compelling and then it's like Mm -hmm. a charming story when they're making those little biscuits biscuits yeah I'm invested in those moments
1: (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, for sure When they sell them actually is the biggest investment for me like watching them sitting at the at at the trading post just waiting for people to come along to to sell them i love that scene i i love those scenes in the movie they just they feel so real you know what i mean yeah like they feel so much like what i would imagine that would be like just like well we're gonna set up here and we got these dope ass biscuits
0: (laughs) yeah 100 (laughs) percent
1: so good. I mean, let's also talk about the visual aspect of this movie. Like the 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 way she managed to capture an untamed frontier in the Pacific Northwest seems very very it's crazy. visually rich. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Like it's a very like nature video kind. Like it's very nature focused in terms of like the setting and everything because it's like overgrown, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of stuff that's not out there. And uh, it just the way the whole thing looks, yeah, feels very rustic without feeling archaic. If well, that I, makes I, any sense.
0: She, you know, she makes a decision not to film in scope. Uh, I mm. wish I was a, a ratio expert. I could say this is Academy frame or not. I'm not sure mm. exactly what the what the ratio is here, but she's not in cinemascope and uh, she's not in wide. Basically, is what for for people who don't know. And uh, you know, in 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 modern filmmaking, that in and of itself is a choice. And maybe people are sick of that choice after seeing like The Lighthouse or whatever. But for me, mm. it really worked. It made this movie feel more intimate. Like the, mm. you know i know uh, we sort of we sort of um we sort of span the gulf here as a podcast some of the Mm. people who listen to our podcast are people who you put something on screen and they immediately know what the ratio is you know that's just Mm. who they are and some of the people who listen to our podcast don't know why you give a fuck about that and they think it's stupid you know Mm. what i mean and the reality is I get it. I get why people don't want to invest. Like the idea that I have to do math to understand the movie I'm watching like makes me mm. crazy. But <laughs> I think it is very true what you're seeing affects your experience. And I think the yeah. the ratio of this movie really changes my experience of the film and really mm. changes the kind of film I think it is. And I think it's worth noting that when you're watching something.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that the aspect ratio, whatever the whatever the numbers may be, the method of filming makes it seem so much towering if that makes any sense like because again this is the last movie that i saw in theaters right like so seeing this movie in the decisions that she had made for its visual presentation like with the lighthouse you know that eggers like changed the aspect ratio so as to feel isolating and it feels like the manipulation of that in this movie makes it feel more ambiguous in terms of limit. Sure, and that's what that's very effective in terms of the narrative that's being woven by this movie
0: yeah, yeah. and I, I I think there's a sense in which um the world that these two guys inhabit is Despite its vastness, you know, like it's still undiscovered, it's still very mm. small. Like the reality, yeah. like we we kind of act like, well, if if the world still wasn't discovered, like if there were still unfound places, then the world is immense. But the reality is, mm. because it's so hard to live, your world yeah. is still very small <laughs> in its newness, in the fact that like you don't have fucking roads. You, there's only one actual house you know what I mean in the whole area like it's a very small existence in a way
1: manages to like weave some moments of real tenseness you know what I mean like in the scenes where they're trying to actually get the cow to to give them milk you know what I mean and like the one guy's in the tree and the other guy's got the stool and all that other stuff it's a tense moment it's as tense as any heist movie that you've ever seen but the stakes are lower but that doesn't make the that doesn't make the risk any different you know what I mean. One hundred percent. And it's such it's such an expertly told story in that regard that uh, you can't help but be sucked into this entire world. You can't. Mm-hmm. And and if you pay attention, it's just one of those things that you just have to you watch it and you're vested. And I mean, to... I, I
0: I think people might have a question about the movie in the sense of like there are these native characters, and I think the way that the um the these new Mm, Settlers sort of interact with the indigenous folks Is like kind of complicated Like it's just sort of left there and it doesn't seem like it goes one way or the other but Mm. I don't think that makes the uh, affects the movie at all I think it's just the reality of like there are these new people here the local folks know that they're here and they're coming and they're trying to like interact with them in some way Mm. but it's not like the focus of the movie and I'm sure at this point in history it was less alarming than in other parts of the country Mm. because there was only a few of them and they were mostly dying off (laughs) <laughs> but also let's talk about the
1: cast of this movie
0: sure this movie has
1: amazing talent in it you it know really does mean? it really has i mean like the main deeds are really really good i think you know what i mean um cookie and uh what's the name of uh the asian dude
0: um, um hold on i'm looking it up king lu is that him yeah i think that's right yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so Those john guys... john magaro is uh cookie um where is and, yeah, um, King Lou is uh, Orion Lee.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those two guys have like a palpable chemistry in the movie that's both like endearing but also off putting in such right. a way that you realize that their union is really truly a matter of survival. And um that kind of speaks to like the weird bare bones of this movie, that they have people in it like um that dude Ewan Bremner who's been yes, in all love those him. Yeah, he, he played uh, he was in um fucking train spotting as spud and right. um yeah he's in this movie alia hat's in this movie um and uh toby what's his name the 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 rich dude toby jones he plays the chief factor in this yes, movie yes that dude is so <laughs> creepy and wonderful and he's such like a good but that's the thing like he's an amazing character actor and i thought he was really really well placed in this movie and he was easy to hate you know what i mean like yeah. so good so good man
0: i it, it's it's weird for us because we do spend so much time talking about like very exciting or off the wall or whatever things it's probably weird for us to be gushing about a movie about a cow that moves at like the most languid pace possible, but it's, <laughs> it's so it, there's just something though. so charming, and uh, you know, I was kind of mesmerized by it. Like, I, yeah, I couldn't, I, I, found my, I will say, um, if you're watching this well you are probably watching this at home because there's no theaters to watch it in uh, even if it was still in theaters Um, you might want to turn a light off or something parts of this movie are kind of pretty dark dark, yeah you Uh, can tell that
1: she probably lit the whole thing with natural light just in terms of the way the look is and it's so cool I, I love I, that shit I loved it in the Revenant like I love yeah. that's one of the things that I really and also in the witch like they use natural right. light in that movie too I love movies that are shot in natural light just because of like the temporal like succinctness of it all <laughs> and just like the technical like having to get it done with what you got is so yeah. fucking cool to me I, I love that I, shit I only so bring
0: it up I don't bring it up as a criticism of the movie per se because I think it looks really good but mm-hmm. I do think like most people are probably the bits, yeah. it, they're indoors the lights are on on their T V probably isn't well adjusted. So like they might be like, what am I even looking at? Like I, I think in a theater and you know, no one should go to a theater right now. If eventually theaters open up and it's safe and they re-release this movie, I would recommend seeing it in a theater. Like, even yeah, though I yeah, watched yeah, it yeah. at home, I was very much like, Ugh, I wish I was in a movie theater right now because I just think it would pop a little bit more than it does." It online. really does. It's okay such a lovely TV.
1: experience in terms of like the cinematic experience, which I really hope comes back eventually is when the world starts playing again. <laughs> yeah, but,
0: we'll we'll, um, we'll see.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll hold on to hope, but I'll see it in a drive-in. I don't give a shit. It's not driving fair for sure. It's not no. like out here like raw looking good ass time it's not that but um that said for cinephiles i think it's a movie that like speaks to it's one of those movies that doesn't assume you're an idiot and that's that's what i love about movies of a higher caliber right like movies that that um expect more of the audience's participation in its viewing and uh it's one of those movies it's not just yeah, what's presented I, you.
0: I agree with that. I think that's a fair assessment of it. That there's a certain amount of um, of uh,
1: engagement that, de- yeah. and and like there's a certain amount of uh, of investment that it demands of you as a viewer in order to understand what the movie's trying to tell you. Right. Which again, it starts with the very first scene of them finding the bones of two people. It's just so good. It's such I, a great movie.
0: I, I I really really liked it. I don't know. I think it's it's in the running for one of my favorites of the year. I don't know if yeah. it's like at the top of the list per se, but I very much enjoyed it. Um It's yeah. an
1: A24 release, right? Yep. Yeah, see that's the thing, man. Like A24 in 2020 is like Revelation Records in the 90s. Like no matter what you put out, I'm buying Ignorus by fucking uh, into another just because I know that if that are in the stars on that record, it's a good record. And A twenty four is that that production company for me right now. Like, no matter what they put out, I'm not sure if I've seen an A twenty four movie that hasn't affected me in a visceral way.
0: Yeah, date. I don't know. We could talk about that sometime because I, I wonder if that's true or not. But yeah, um, I would have to look and like really think about each because I'm sure there's always you know downers here and there or whatever and i get mm. that like i think for a certain kind of independent film fan they're getting kind of sick of a24 you know what i mean okay. like i think for us it's like revelation per you know in a way i wonder mm. if for other film fans a24 is more like victory records you know what i mean
1: oh jumping the shark a little well, well maybe
0: not jumping the shark but like think of like the prime time victory like when victory mm-hmm. had just put out Earth Crisis, Strife, and Snapcase, Snapcase. right? Yeah. And imagine, and imagine during that time you're a His Hero is Gone fan. Yeah. Then you're looking at this shit going, this isn't even hardcore. You aren't hardcore. You aren't yeah. punk. You aren't... You know what I mean? Uh, I think there are some film fans that feel like A24 has all the like shininess of uh, independent film, but all the financing and gloss of major film and it like uh, bums them out a little bit. Uh, and I... I I have a lot of respect for different resentments that people carry, uh, and so I just want to acknowledge that, like, okay, I get that, I get why, people whatever but for me uh (laughs) i like that victory record stuff i like that revelation record stuff you know fuck it i like you know uh fucking saddle creek and uh initial and you know what i mean like Uh uh, doghouse i'm out here buying the doghouse 50 you know whatever the fuck yeah so i'm not mad at that yeah. yeah so i'm not out here like uh apologizing necessarily for liking a24 films but i get that um Uh, When you have something that is accessible to the mainstream that has a patina of artsiness on it, for a certain kind of audience, that's as deep as they're willing to get, and I think that builds resentment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, you know, getting back to our earlier conversation, it's like the people who just saw Mean Streets and uh, Goodfellas and were like, I'm a Martin Scorsese fan. And you're like, okay, there's a lot there's of fucking more. movies there, yeah. buddy. Like, there's yeah. a, <laughs> Take you know, it easy. If, you, if all you do is see A24, you're not like an artsy movie fan. But I don't yeah, think yeah, A24 yeah. has anything to apologize for. I think they're doing a good job. I think they're really giving yeah, money to people. And I like most of the stuff that they do. And, and, you know, knowing that this is an A24 film makes me that much happier because I like Kelly Reichert, and I don't know that all of her films uh, have gotten the money that they deserve, uh, Mm. per se. Yeah. Cool. See First Cow.
1: All right. First Uh, Cow. Big recommend. Big recommend.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about our other movie, The Assistant. We haven't even talked about this one yet. We talked a little bit about First Cow. I don't Mm -hmm. even know what you thought of this movie. Uh, So uh, let me give a quick synopsis for people. Uh, The Assistant is a... One day film in which we follow uh, the um, you know day in the life of a uh, executive assistant to a some sort of big muck a muck in entertainment. I assume it's mm. Hollywood, but it could be TV, um, and she basically has what you would consider an average day only the way the film is shot and the way that it pans out and the way that it explores the various indignities and microaggressions of capitalism that she has to undergo in order to keep this supposedly important job I would argue this film borders on a horror movie yeah, it, it certainly is, an abusive is a, movie it, for at least sure. is like an exploitation film that mm-hmm. has no violence or gore or nudity in it, but is horrifying from the beginning to the end. Josh, what did you think of the assistant?
1: It's a bummer of a movie. It's, it's, it's a movie that happens, uh, in under the shadow of a Weinstein's type. Yes. Um, a Weinstein type scandal. So there's a lot of implications of like untoward sex in this movie. And like, it's all like very kind of behind the veil. And, um, that said i think you're right man like i didn't know going i didn't know one thing about this movie going into it i didn't know what it was about other than that it took place in a day um and man it is up movie it's brutal it's hard uh, yeah it's it's one of those things that the horrors are all implied right and um you're left to personify with this one character played by um julia garner who was in um, the Ozarks and she was in, uh, what was the other show that she was on? She was on another one. Oh, she was also in the perks of being a wallflower. She was in, um, there was another TV show that she was on.
0: Oh, really? I don't know her other show, I think,
1: but she was also in Martha, Marcy, May Marlene. She's, she's a, you know, she's a good actor and um, man, like to personify with her in this movie is just a crushing (laughs) indictment of what young people go through trying to get the oh, experience. Oh, I think
0: she was on that Maniac show that was on Netflix uh, with oh, Jonah Hill go. and what's her name? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and mm. she was on The Americans too. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Melania loves that show. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, this movie was brutal, man. I kind of hated it. I mean, I thought it was a good movie, I thought it was very compelling in terms of what it's trying to show, but what it's showing is horrible. Yeah. uh, Oh,
0: certainly. I for me, it is uh, a really good example of a movie that doesn't love me and therefore I love it. Um, It is it is it it is to me an incredibly angry film because for sure it never falls in in having all of the really upsetting indignity she has to go through be real. You know, there's no mm-hmm. exploitation moment here where someone's going to get stabbed or something crazy is going to you know, what I mean, this is all mm. normal stuff that I- I'm sure fucking millions of Americans go through and just think, well, this is just my job. But yeah. this film takes your average day of having a shit sucking job where you don't know if anyone cares about you. and really shows it for what it is which is dehumanizing uh and 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 not just that not only is it the ways that she's treated badly it's the gaslighting right when the mm. driver's like oh yeah he says that you work really hard i mean sorry i don't mean to spoil anything for you guys but she gets both positive and negative feedback and has to yeah. like pantomime all this like apologizing for stuff that is often not her fault she's putting these horrible situations of, between this dude and his wife while he is you know they never 100% confirm that he's uh, fucking random people but you know he's fucking random people from what they're showing you and and the reality of that is they never give you the dead hard evidence because they're showing how hard it is for her because she can't take him to HR there's not enough Mm -hmm. there and the moment with HR she goes to HR is the worst part because HR first makes her feel like shit for her accusations and then confirms that she's right Mm. oh my god It's like, again, we're probably making it sound like you should not watch this movie. I think this movie is amazing. I did not know what to expect going in. I picked it because it was one of the other nominees. It was directed by a woman, and I heard good things on Twitter in the vaguest possible sense. But only once I was watching it did I remember someone saying... (laughs) The assistant set off my PTSD, and yeah. watching it, I thought, "Oh, okay, I get why." Again, <laughs> nothing, hor- nothing physically horrible happens to her. But if you've ever worked this kind of like truly crushing job, you, there's a lot here to identify with and mm. possibly shy away from.
1: Yeah, there's definitely it's a cautionary tale at the end of the day, right? Like, it's a movie that, um, like you said, is angry. It's a movie that has an agenda, but the agenda isn't to glamorize its protagonist. The agenda nope. is to show you like, again, a cautionary tale of like, yo man, don't get sucked into this shit. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's such an interesting navigation because you're going between just the perils of day-to-day grunt work. Yeah. In addition to living underneath the rule of a cult of personality. Yeah. That is hidden in plain view. Right. Like yeah. the whole like sexual menace of this movie, there is no, I mean, even though it doesn't happen on screen and you don't see it like, you know, the the whole oeuvre of sexual menace, of uh, you know, this powerful dude who's using his power and throwing his weight around to get this like the sex that he wants. You know, it's such I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but it's the kind of movie where it it shows you the fallout of that. Right. And what that's like as a person, as an independent person. And it's, it's brutal, man. It's brutal. And it, it, it truly essays the plight of people in these situations, I think. Right. Cause there, I mean like, it's such, just like first cow, it's a movie that doesn't move at a pace that would be indicative of what we're saying. It doesn't move at like a fast clip. There are moments of it where I definitely was like, okay, this is a little egregious. You know what I mean? Like, The whole cause like the way it's shot, also, there's a lot of like phone talking and like people talking over other people, and it's kind of hard to like zone in on what's important, what you're supposed to be getting from each scene in certain parts. But overall, that's the that's just the dizzy malou of what this job and this life is. And I think that's a very compelling way to tell this story, right? Like it definitely has an air of sincerity that I think is integral to the appreciation of this movie. You have to see this movie and you have to like understand like, no, this is just bandaid off. This is the wound.
0: Right. Right.
1: And, um, it's very, I thought it was really, really good, man. I mean, like, it's also a bummer. (laughs) It's not the feel good movie of 2020. I'll tell you that much, but, um, it's just like everything about it is such, uh, A beautiful exercise in reticence and in control of what it is that you're showing. Right. And I think that's really, really skillful in terms of what a director can do. Yeah. So so that this is an exercise in that like just the visual aspect of this movie. What did you think about the way this movie looked, Liam? Did, did anything I think strike you or not? Yeah, strike you, I think or? it's
0: I think it's really because a lot of it is very intense close ups, very mm-hmm. deliberate framing. Um, I think a lot of the visuals work to heighten the anxiety of the film. I mm-hmm. think the, the colors are a little flat but I think that's kind of the point is that she's yeah, I in think this the whole thing
1: is, the whole thing is lit by those halogen ceiling lights. Yeah, so you can yeah. tell that's like the flatness that is conveyed with those with that lighting. And I mean, like, again, it's kind of a silly thing to compare this to first cow. when that first cow was shot in a beautiful unspoiled Pacific Northwest territory. Right. This movie is also unspoiled, but unspoiled in its decay, given the lighting choices that they made when they, when shooting this movie. Um, Another thing that I found that was really compelling is if you watch this movie, um, our main protagonist, Jane, she is almost always dead center in every shot. And in that, despite moving around and all this stuff, she's always perfectly in focus and perfectly in the center of every tracking shot and every like still frame, like she's in the middle. And this is another movie that definitely takes a lot of that visual vocabulary of the long shot there's a lot of static camera moments where things right. happen in the background that come to the foreground and um the camera movements in general just kind of heighten this claustrophobic anxiety yeah and um i thought that was also very masterful in terms of telling this narrative it's very uh it's very appropriate visual style
0: i don't want to play down julie garner um it, you know i think that Obviously, I hope it's obvious to people. the The triumph here is the directing, which I think is really masterful mm-hmm. yeah. and really does a lot of the work here. That being said, it wouldn't work without Julie Garner, who I think this is an amazing performance. You yeah, know she mean?
1: turns in a wonderful go because, despite going through all of these like horrible, these horrible in inhumanities. Like, dude, so it's funny. She's the only person that has a name in this movie. Right. I believe everybody else is like, is listed at least in the IMDb as like assistant one, assistant two. And I get like, so to a certain degree, I'm just kind of like, oh, they're just kind of like warm bodies of filling in the roles and all that stuff. And if that's what it's like working in an office, fuck. All of that. And it's funny, too, because, like, the two assistants in particular, you see them and, like, you're introduced to to them and they're, like, carousing in the office and they're, like, they're very typical, like, bro dude kind people, you know? Like, they're throwing bagels at each other and, like, making jokes and all this other stuff, which, you know, okay, I get it. But it's also a very, like, hyper-masculine and very, like, disconcerting perspective to see our protagonist, you know, a young female fresh out of college, like working an entry level job at a, at in an industry that she presumably wants to be a part of, you know, and she's like just kind of immersed in this horrible frat boy like mentality in her day to day. And like, they communicate with her by throwing paper at her and stuff like this, like these indignities that happen throughout, like the story in regards specifically to those two characters. To normalize that is so fucked up. Like, I don't want to know what that's like. But mm-hmm. watching it, that's what this person's reality is, and it fucking sucks. It's, again, masterfully told, horrible ennui. <laughs> yep. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. It,
0: it is. I, I also want to um, mention some of the other performances that I think are pretty good. Uh, the HR guy. Is, um, I just had him in front of me. Matthew McFadden, which people might know from uh, Pride and Prejudice, actually, uh, as well as the Three Musketeers and uh, Frost Nixon. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a pretty well known dude. In fact, the cast for this is actually pretty big. There's a lot of like very small roles that are by people who are actually pretty well known. Um, but he wow. stood out to me because this is such a nuanced role, right? Like he puts up perfectly this face of yeah 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 yeah. i basically care about you but no there's no fucking way we're going forward with this like mm-hmm. this is not going to work for you we are not doing this thing that you want me to do is not going to happen and then the skill with which at the end he does what he thinks i really do think he thinks is a humane thing when he says don't worry you're not his type that
1: shit is so brutal. It when fucking he delivers that line, me. it floors me, dude. It's it is so. Bummer. I just think
0: it's like an amazing performance, and it's a sort of performance like he's not going to get a fucking award for that. It's one scene, but that scene is so pivotal. And granted, again, Julia Garner is also very good, and she helps carry that scene as well. But he just really nails that role. So yeah, I, I, you know, I think if you're someone for whom uh, a film that does nothing but make you sad and give you anxiety sounds like not a way you want to spend your time ever avoid this movie i i don't <laughs> think this is for you uh there are no jokes there's no uh literally all of the character development is just watching her go through these horrible situations and negotiate like do i need this job or not but for me like this was a masterful movie. I just think it was yeah. super well done. I, I, again, I don't know if it's my favorite movie because it's it's hard to lift this up for me knowing how uncomfortable and unpleasant it was, but the ways that it was uncomfortable and unpleasant were so good that I, I just found myself really loving the movie.
1: Yeah, and you're right, dude. This is an entire exercise in nuance. And, right. And um, again, as far as the direction goes, like there's certain little touches in this movie, like that line you know, you're not his type anyway, that like in the hands of a lesser director would have just fallen in the cracks. But in this narrative, these are like pivotal points that are told in a nonchalant way that paints a much broader picture than what you're being shown. And again, in my estimation, that is the sign of a truly remarkable director. Also talk about the fact that like in one of the scenes, like, okay, so you don't even see like what this executive guy does You know what I mean? You don't know anything about it other than it's in this industry of film. And it's like this, like, again, this Weinstein comparison, right? Like of a powerful person that works in this industry. Um, But one of the masterful ways that Kitty Green, like, shows that whole backstory of this Weinstein empire without even wasting one line on it is when our girl jane is in the elevator at the beginning of the movie and she's standing next to homeboy from Watchmen. uh what's his name uh patrick uh yeah patrick wilson is in the elevator with her and you don't know if he's playing a role or if he's just being patrick wilson that had to meet with this executive dude because he doesn't say anything he doesn't say a word he's just in there and it's so good because without one word and in a scene that only takes three seconds to play out you realize oh she's like in the big leagues like right. oh this is like a that like that's all the exposition you really get in in perspective in terms of like moving into the story like there's other stuff too like there's the japanese businessmen that talk and all that yeah. stuff and you're like oh this guy's cutting like international deals and all this other stuff but man it is just an interesting way to set a stage and i loved it
0: one of the notes the trivia on imdb is that the injections that she loads in very early on the movie she puts all this medicine for this dude in his office and i, I assume he like, must be
1: like diabetic or
0: something yeah no 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 no. Uh, so do i apparently it's alprostatal uh for it's an uh, injections for erectile dysfunction Okay. So she's stocked up when if you're wondering about the sexual innuendo in this movie, uh yeah, he's got a drawer full of boner injections to make sure he gets a boner in the office. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, and so the See, whole. See, that's the
1: kind of thing though. You wouldn't know if you didn't read the IMDb. So, I, you know, that's kind of like a weird like detail. They like, show they it, show
0: what the medicine is. I just didn't recognize it myself because I don't know uh. about boner injections. <laughs> Maybe if I was an expert on boner injections, I would have picked up the the whole thing. But you know, the, the point is, is that. This One of the things the movie does very well is that the demands on this woman continuously is that she must be professional, which means leave your humanity at home. But her job is to care for the fragile, embarrassing, gross humanity of this fucker. And that's like that dualism is part of not just the business world, but I think our whole system. The powerful get to be vulnerable because they're also powerful and the non-powerful the people with no authority and no money and no clout they don't get to be human they're not allowed to be vulnerable you know what I mean Mm, and I think that is so at play in this movie that it was like really obvious I mean uh, this is another thing I, I, I feel like this is a movie that's somewhat similar to Parasite in that if you're someone who's incapable of noticing the evils of capitalism you might not notice how fucked up this movie is
1: yeah, yeah. There's definitely when I've read the reviews about this movie, a lot of people are like, What the fuck? And like a lot of people were like, Well nothing happens. Which Oh Jesus You know, that typically is an earmark for like, okay, I get it, guy. Enjoy, you know <laughs> it's cool. Like but if this movie isn't for you, it just won't resonate with you. You know what I mean? Like if you're the powerful executive watching this movie being like Sure. What the fuck? Like, okay cool. Enjoy whatever it is that you enjoy. You know what I mean? Like but for those of us like those of us working in the trenches that are subjected to the whims of powerful people you know in order to try and find our living in the cracks of that society yeah this movie is a horror movie and this movie it's, is a very personal movie
0: yeah it it is it is a movie and it does that thing that i think we both love which is it clearly has a perspective and i think that per, with that perspective comes a politics but this isn't a movie that's trying to solve the situation there's no big resolution our main mm-hmm. character doesn't find something out i don't even know that she grows necessarily but it explores that reality in a way that i think can help you the audience make some decisions about your own life you know and i just find that really interesting and and compelling
1: yeah 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 again in the hands of a lesser director it would it could easily have fallen out of that nuanced zone that i find to be so compelling and so interesting about this movie but this movie is well-directed and it's well acted but man you could tell there's a there's a pro at the hell
0: right and I love it right yeah all right so Hey, uh, two for two, good two two good movies. Uh, again, Josh had seen First Cow, but we, we mostly picked these movies a little blind from that nomination list, so I'm glad that it worked out for us. Uh, I recommend if you haven't seen them, um, they're not hard to find. Uh, if if they're not streaming on one of the obvious platforms, go ahead and look for um, one of your local independent theaters. A lot of them are offering streaming options. Or uh, if, if you don't have a local independent theater, try Film at the Lincoln Center in new york uh you can you can stream often from that site uh but there are options to get at these movies and i think these are movies um if they aren't available to you for uh subscription service then it's worth paying for you know i think they're both very very good
1: agreed agreed
0: all right all right y'all well thanks for listening thank Thank
1: you for listening to episode 122 yeah um please rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, because that is truly a currency that helps us as podcasters continue doing the damn thing. Yeah. So, uh, and also, you know, we really appreciate when, uh, you tell friends and tell people like, Hey, you should listen to this show because sure you know, without you, we wouldn't be still doing it. So, yep. So there you go. And, um, thank you so much to Liam and thanks to everybody for being patient with our, uh, tech difficulties <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we're working them out. We're working them out. But, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you so much. All right. And that's it. Smoke bomb. Peace. Don't talk, just listen. Under the black sun, there is no hope. Only mystery, wonder, danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network.